sixth grade and older, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James? James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. It's our third week in the book of James. Uh, I just want to say good morning, church. And I want to say good morning to you. I know we got people quarantined and on vacation and for other reasons not able to join us uh, in person this morning. And so I just want to say welcome to you as well. Uh, Joy to worship the Lord together this morning in this place. Thank you to Jason for putting that uh, staff appreciation together. Really um, means a lot. And yeah, he's right. Uh, Dressed like a pastor is pretty, this is it basically. Um, This is the official uniform of Pastor Mike at least. Um, I guess the only difference you wanted to spice it up, you could like spray your armpits with water coming in because I'm usually, uh, that's kind of what I look like at the end of a sermon actually. But other than that, it's pretty boring wardrobe. But I guess it is a good time for me to uh, express my staff appreciation for uh, the staff here at Rock Prairie Church. And I just want to say, man, I am so blessed to work with the, I think, the best staff, church staff, at least in Indiana, right? And maybe top five nationally, but definitely in Indiana. Um, and what a blessing it is for me to work with our staff uh, every single week and, uh, and shepherd the flock of God together. And just thinking about it during when Jason was talking, just thinking about it, we just got this super team assembled. I don't even know how it happened. We got, I mean, just Pastor Jerry, and I mean, he is just such a rock for our church, and he's someone that I can go to for wisdom. Just yesterday, I had something, and I didn't know what to do, and so my first thing was I called Pastor Jerry to ask what he thought I should do, and, and he's just such a fountain of wisdom, but just such a rock for our church as well. And, and uh, Pastor David, uh, the enthusiasm that you see on a Sunday morning is not manufactured in the least. If anything, he's intentionally toning it down a little bit for you guys on a Sunday morning. If you spend five minutes with Pastor David and you're not encouraged, that is a you problem. I just got to say that. That's not a him problem, but uh, he's just always such an encouragement to me. And so many weeks, he'll just come into my office and we'll start talking. Next thing we know, he's just preaching a sermon to me, something that the Lord's been teaching him in his quiet time. And it's just always such an encouragement. And Pastor Craig, where are you at, Pastor Craig? I'm trying to make eye contact with people as I, he's out there. Anyway, so Pastor Craig, I'll talk about him while he's not in here. He just, the way that he thinks deeply and intentionally about how to minister to your students. He's not, everything that he does is not flippant about it. And he is, he thinks deeply and he loves the Lord and he loves your students. And he's always challenging me with the way that he's really thinking about everything that they do. And it's, I love working with him and Marcy, um, who uh, is my assistant and really she's the church's assistant and does more than uh, any of us know. And there, man, she's just a super efficient. There's so many times where I'll come in and I'll have something on my mind. It's like, we need to do this. And so I'll go into Marcy's office and we need to start thinking about this. And she'll be like, oh, you mean this thing that I did yesterday already and it's done and it's, and, oh, yep, that's, that's the thing. And, uh, but she, uh, more than just her efficiency, again, she just loves the Lord. And there's so many weeks where she'll come in and she'll point to something in her quiet time and be like, this is what the Lord said and this is exactly how that matches what's happening at church. And it's just amazing and just such an encouragement to me. And then Rayma, who's just started, I don't know, I guess a couple months now and Rayma, I think most of you know her situation, but she is here on an interim basis as she prepares to go to the field to be a full-time missionary to reach those who have never heard the gospel before. But in the meantime, she's here as she prepares for that as the children's director. And I tell you what, it'd be super easy for someone in her position to not be very focused on what's going on with the kids because of other things that she's thinking about. But she is fully engaged and she's dived in completely and fully and um, 
and is just doing an amazing, amazing job loving on your kids and leading in that way. So I just wanted to take a little bit of time at the beginning uh, to say thank you to the staff, but then I also wanted to take time that I do something so uh, much less than I should, um, which is to say thank you to the staff, uh, wives and families as well, because I know uh, it is not an easy thing all the time to be married to a pastor, and it is, uh, it's a, it is a ministry that you almost can't explain uh, unless you go through it. And uh, there's high highs and low lows, uh, but I am so thankful um, to you, um, staff, uh, wives, and I don't know, I, I don't know if I should include Butch in this or not, but so I'm up, <laughs> but... Uh, but uh, Megan and Kim and Annie especially, and my beautiful, amazing, and wonderful wife, Emily, um, you're just solid rocks for this church. And uh, so as you think about pastor appreciation, uh, think about um, these amazing women as well, and Butch, who, uh, who do so much more. Um, all that to say, uh, just super thankful for the blessing it is to work here at the church. And none of that was in my notes, so now we're going to start in with what I uh, actually have written out. But actually, even before we begin with that, I just want to say as well um, that our hearts are just uh, are broken alongside uh, with the Summers family, uh, with the passing of Kim this week. We don't grieve as those without hope, right? We have a hope. We rejoice at this knowledge that to depart with the body is to be with the Lord. And we are confident she's with Jesus right now. We know it for a fact. It's God word, God's word tell us. And so we have that hope, and yet we still grieve. And often when Pastor Jerry does a funeral, he shares um, this, the fact that Jesus wept when Lazarus died, even that, which is just such a strange thing because Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead in like literally one minute, right? And yet Jesus wept. He grieved. And so even though we have the confidence, the full assurance that those who are in Christ will seek him again someday, we still grieve and our hearts are broken at her passing. So, And I know you've been praying already. We've been praying a lot and you're going to continue to pray, but I just want to encourage you to be in prayer for Greg and for Justin and Emily and Nicole and Debbie and the grandkids and uh, just the rest of the Summers family uh, in this time. We love you guys and we're praying for you. So the viewing will be Thursday evening and then the funeral will be uh, Friday morning and they're both going to be here at Rock Prairie. Well, let's, uh, I think it'd be appropriate right now before we jump into James, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father God, we thank you. Um, for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the beauty of the gospel. What a glorious thought. That you looked on us while we were yet sinners. While we were running the opposite direction of you, we were your enemies. And you looked at us and you said, that one's mine. God, the hope that we have as your children, as, children, as your sons and daughters, so we will have eternal life. So God, while we all are going to pass away, unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to pass away on this earth. Our hope is not in this life, but in the next, in eternity, worshiping our Savior around the throne, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, even though that is our hope, we still grieve, we still hurt, and so we lift up the Summers family to you, God. We just ask that you would give a peace that passes all understanding to guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus, God. 
thank you that you promised that to us, God. God, I pray for the rest of our time this morning that you just be honored as we look to your word, as we talk about some of these things that James has to say, God, that you'd be glorified in all that we do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I will look with me at your Bibles, uh, James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. I'll read the passage. It says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. One theme that uh, continually comes up. You read the New Testament and uh, one theme that comes up over and over and over again. We see it especially in the Gospels. We see it all the time. We'll see it all the time in James. It's just simply how countercultural it is to follow Jesus. Following Jesus often means thinking in the complete opposite way than would normally and naturally happen if you weren't following Jesus. And the book of James, like I said, helps us with that. Remember, James is this extremely practical book. It's the quick start guide to the Christian life. James is not concerned with all this flowery theological language. He wants you to know how you can follow Jesus in a way that will help you to remain steadfast in the midst of challenging times. And that's why our series is called Steadfast. James gives us practical things to think about and to apply to our lives as we remain steadfast in trials in life. And so one of the things that he talks about and the thing that our passage talks about this morning is how we're called to think about our finances, our money, the things that we have, how we're called to think about all of that differently than the rest of the world. That following Jesus literally flips this on its head. Our culture communicates that your worth is tied to your financial status. This is the message we get from our culture all the time, that if you're wealthy, that you, then you are more valuable to society than if you are poor. And often the message to people who are poor in our culture is this is how you can become financially wealthy, right? But James says the exact opposite. So our passage this morning looks at two groups of people, the rich and the poor. And he looks to the poor... And he says, you guys have it pretty good. And he looks to the rich, and he says, you all got a problem. Following Jesus is countercultural. Following Jesus means thinking in the opposite way and training your mind to think differently about how we're called to live. And I'm going to do something this morning. So that's where we're headed. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, We're going to talk about how do we think about our finances, about our resources, about the things that we have now that we're followers of Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a second. But the first, before we do that, I'm going to kind of break every um, preaching rule that I have uh, ever uh, learned before. So really, this is something for you, and probably for many of you, you listen to other pastors and other sermons uh, throughout the week. I think that's a great thing to do. I would certainly commend that to you in your walk with the Lord. Uh, Listen to other pastors and how they preach the word. But one criteria that you should really have when you're listening to another sermon is, does this pastor make the point of the text that he's preaching the point of his sermon? 
or is he just using the Bible to kind of be a springboard for what he wants to say, for his opinions about things, you know? And, and we don't want to be listening to teaching uh, necessarily that is doing the second thing. The, the point of the passage that you're studying should always be the point of your sermon. And uh, I say all that to say I'm not quite going to do that this morning. I'm going to break that rule. So hopefully my seminary professors don't get a hold of this videotape. And, uh, but uh, every once in a while I think we need to, it's okay to do that. I hope you'll grant me that. Because what I've been, as I've been thinking this week and I've been studying this passage and thinking about just how countercultural it is to follow Jesus, I've also at the same time been thinking about our church and we've been talking a lot. We talked last week. We're going to continue to talk about what does it look like for our church to follow Jesus together? What kind of community are we trying to build? And so for the first part of my sermon, I want to talk just a little bit about that. The church is not supposed to look like the world. The church is not supposed to look like the world. That's one of the reasons I've never had much use for this kind of like church growth strategies that what they do is they try to teach the church how to be more attractive to the world in order to draw people in. That's like a strategy of church growth that was especially popular maybe 20 years ago and hopefully it's falling a little bit out of favor more and more now. But the idea is that if you can look more and more like the world, then people who like the world will also like your church and you'll have more and more people come and when you get them in, that's when you can give them the gospel. But the church is not supposed to look like the world. It's a good way to grow a business, but it's a bad way to grow a church. Last week, I announced that we're going to start this process of strategic planning for the future of Rock Prairie to set a vision for our church over the next three to five years. And together, we're going to be thinking about this idea of what does our church look like in three to five years? Like if things are just going great, like as well as we can possibly imagine. If we transport ourselves five years from now and you're sitting in these seats what, and things are just going as well as they possibly could, what does that look like? And the way we're going to get there is, we're, like I said last week, is that we're going to have these focus groups about 15 to 20 people per group, and they're going to meet over opportunities to do that over the next couple months. And my challenge is for every single one of you to take part in one of those focus groups because we want to hear what your heart is for our church and for our community. And this is the opportunity to do just that. And so that's my challenge is for every one of you, whether you've been at Rock Prairie for one week or your family's been coming for a hundred years, I would love for every single one of you to take part in that and have the opportunity to share. And, and some of you might think like, well, I just don't know if I have much to say about that. But I think you do. <laughs> I think you have more to say about it than you realize. And so I would love for every single one of you to be a part of that as we think about what the future is for our church. Because as we think about the future, it's kind of a weird thing, thing to think about, but we're actually going to be thinking about what kind of people we want to attract here at Rock Prairie Church. You might think, well, Pastor Mike, we want to attract anyone to Rock Prairie Church, right? And, and in a sense, that's true. But the way that we operate as a church is going to define the kind of people that we attract. And so if we operate in a way that says, like I said before, we look just like the world, 
And so people who are enamored with the world, you're welcome here, and you're not going to have to change much about your life. That's not a good way to build a church. We're not trying to attract people who are enamored with the world. We're trying to attract people who are fed up with the empty promises of the world. Does that make sense? The world gives too many (laughs) empty promises Things that the world says will fulfill you, and then they don't. It leaves you broken and empty. Jesus fills broken and empty people. So we want to be the kind of church that attracts people who are fed up with the world and says there's got to be a better way. Then they see our community. So here's the two things that I want to see for our church. You talk about pastor appreciation. You want to make your pastors feel appreciated the most? Easy for me to say. You want to make your pastors feel appreciated the most? This is how we do it, by doing these two things. You ready? When people look at Rock Prairie Church, when somebody comes to visit Rock Prairie Church, this is what I want them to think. Number one, man, they love Jesus. Like, really love Jesus. He's not just some facade, to some guys for them to get together. These people are serious about Jesus. That's number one, Rock Prairie Church. They love Jesus. Here's number two. Man, they really love each other. Wow. I've never seen a place like that where the people truly and authentically love one another. That's the kind of place we want to be. And you don't want a bonus. Here's bonus number three for a new person to our church. They love Jesus like no place I've ever seen. They love each other authentically. And number three, it really felt like they loved me too. I really feel like there's a place for me there to be loved, to be accepted. All my junk and everything. I don't feel like I have to put on a happy face to be with these people. They're real, and they love me for who I am, and they're pointing me to Jesus. That is the kind of environment that we want to foster. And this is the important part. Hear me on this, because we have things, church, that we want to do right? There's things that we want to accomplish together. We just spent a month talking about missions, right? And the kind of things that we want to do to have an impact so that those who have never heard the gospel will hear the gospel and be saved. We have things we want to do, like reaching the unreached and being a light in our community, right? But I want you to hear me say this. If we don't get these first two things right of loving Jesus and loving each other, then everything we do for Jesus is meaningless. Meaningless. Why do you say that, Pastor Mike? 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I'm a clanging gong and a crashing cymbal. Crash. Nothing. We don't want to be that kind of church. If we reach the unreached with the gospel and our church grows to a thousand people on Sunday and we have not love for one another, we're but a clanging gong and a crashing cymbal. I truly believe that. And so as we think about our strategic vision for our church and the direction we want to go, like that's where we need to be headed. I think as a church, we've had some success in these areas and I think we've had some failures in these areas. As your pastor, I think I've had some success in these areas and I think I've failed in many of these areas. But that's where we're headed. 
So our success isn't going to be based on anything that the world says we should base our success on. It's not going to be based on numbers or finances or buildings or, or programs or anything else. Our success, our bottom line, is the way we love Jesus and the way we love one another. Amen? Is that the kind of church that you want to be a part of? I hope so. And one reason it's so important is because it takes every person in our church from this place of spectating and stepping back to participating in it fully and completely. The strength of the church cannot and should not come from the strength of the senior pastor or the staff, no matter how amazing our staff is. The strength of the church cannot and should not come just from the strength of a few people. The strength of the church comes from the foundation that it's built on, Jesus Christ, and the interconnectedness of its members as the body of Christ, right? So it's the foundation and it's the body. I'm going to give two metaphors to kind of describe this. Both, both of them are, are not great metaphors, but they're kind of convoluted. But Jason just gave a metaphor where I think all our pastors had four arms, so it's okay. You can go with me on that. Where is Jason? Is he still in here? Oh, Sunday school, okay. So metaphor number one, think about a bowl of popcorn, right? I love popcorn. Go to uh, Wilson's Farm Market and get this, like, popcorn salts that they have. It's really good. I love popcorn. It's my plug for that. I don't usually plug products up here, but anyways. So the church is like the bowl, and then the people are like the kernels, right? Are popcorn kernels connected to each other in a bowl, like in a meaningful way? No. They're kind of all in there together. They're not connected. This is the church where people come because they like the pastors or the sermons or the music or whatever, and so they come. And, and, and they're not really a family, though. And so for a time, that church can feel like we're all in this together, right? But what's going to happen when that bowl of popcorn gets bumped or jostled or anything happens to it? Half the kernels are going to spill out and just going to be on the floor disconnected from each other. That's not the way we want to build a church. That's metaphor number one. Here's metaphor number two. It's even more convoluted, but I hope you'll go with me. Think about, like uh, I said, I've been very slowly getting into woodworking in a very amateur and, and bad way, but I'm learning some things. So, like, when you glue up a tabletop, this is what I've learned, you glue up a whole bunch of panels together, use a tight bond or tight bond two or tight bond three if you need it to be waterproof. I don't, where are my tight bond people at? Anyone in here? Anyway, so um, it's product placement number two in my sermon this morning. So you glue it up, and what I didn't know before kind of learning some of these things is actually when you glue up two boards, the strength in the bond where you glue it is stronger than the actual lignans that are holding the wood together. And so the way that comes together is when you glue up two boards and they dry and, and uh, they undergo stress. So you glue up two boards, and if you just start wailing on them with a hammer, they'll break, but not at the glue line. The wood itself will actually break before the wood glue does. Now I think about that when I think about the relationships that we need to have with each other as a church. Because we're going to go through turbulence together. That's called life. But we need to be so bonded to one another that we can even feel like we're like losing pieces of ourselves, but we're not going to lose our connection because this is our family. And you know, that's my convoluted way of explaining it, but um, the Bible explains it so much better. 
Verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 4 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. That's the popcorn church, right? There's nothing holding it together and just get blown all over the place. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So Christ is the head. And then verse 16, a better metaphor than mine. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's the church. We're a body together. Like the same body. That's mind-blowing, right? It's hard to even fathom how, what that means. It's like look around this room and think, we are a body. And Christ is the head. And that's the kind of church that we are called to be. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. So how do we do that, Pastor Mike? How do we get there? I don't know. I don't y'all y'all hired me. I I'd never done this before, so I don't know. But in all seriousness, it has to be all of us figuring this out and it has to be together. Like I feel like I can see point B where we want to go and I feel like I can see point A where we are now, but the journey to get there cannot and shouldn't be just me. It shouldn't be just the staff or leadership. It's got to be all of us because we're all a body together. And so that's my ask of us, Rock Prairie. Let's be in this together. Let's be all in together. This has been my vision for our church since day one of coming here, that we'd be this kind of church. And I just have to confess, I haven't always done a good job of preaching it, and I haven't always even done a great, the greatest job of living it out at times. And I'm sorry about that, but I just want you to know, this is my heart, and there's no group of people I'd rather get glued up with together than Rock Prairie Church my church. I mean that. When I say I love you, Rock Prairie, every Sunday, I mean it. I love my church. And I want to be all in this together. You guys want to be all in on this together? You always want to be all in on this together? Yeah. Amen. Pastor Mike, are we ever going to get to the passage? <laughs> yep, okay. Here we are. It's a good thing our passage is only three verses this morning, so we'll be just fine. Like I said, it's okay to break the rules every once in a while, I think. And there is this kind of this connection between what we talk about. Like I said, we're talking about building this countercultural community. And if we're going to do it, again, it's not just going to happen overnight. And it's going to take like deep study of God's word. Again, how do we expect that we're going to live out as a church the implications of how we live together as a people from God's word if we're not in it, like immersed in God's word, studying it? So our passage talks about how do we think about our lives counterculturally, and specifically it talks about how do we think about our finances in a way, in a gospel-centered way. And so since it's only three verses, I'm going to read the passage again. So look with me at verse 9 of James chapter 1. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls 
and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So if as a church we're going to be a different kind of community than the communities in the world, then we need to understand that God's economy is different than the economy of the world. We see two things in this passage. First, in God's economy, the poor are rich. The poor are rich. Look again at verse 9. I'm going to read it in four different translations. I think it's going to help us to see it. Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That's the ESV. The CSB, anyone use a CSB Christian Standard Bible? It's kind of a newer translation, and I'm loving it. Anyways, it's a great one. It says this in the CSB, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. So the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. The NIV, another fantastic translation. Anyone use the NIV? Raise your hand if you use the NIV, some of you. Believers, so we know we're talking about people who are following Jesus. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. You can see how he's uh, contrasting these things. And then the NLT, which does a great job of kind of helping us see how to apply the passage. Or my NLT people at anyone in here? NLT people? Donna, very good. So NLT believers who are poor, it says, have something to boast about for God has honored them. Believers who are poor have something to boast about because God has honored them. To understand this, we need to kind of see what the context in is that James is writing to. He's actually writing to the, this church and obviously, or these believers and, who are scattered all over. And some of them, obviously, are rich and others of them are poor. But we have to understand how some of them became poor because he's writing to, to the dispersion, to the people who have been dispersed. They've been persecuted because of their faith and they've had to leave their homes. And for some of them, it means they lost everything. So actually, a, a kind of a good audience to think about as we read James, for some of the people, are kind of like the people in Afghanistan right now, the believers who have been forced out of their homes and into hiding because they're following Jesus. And so he's writing to them. And you can imagine somebody who's following Jesus. They had to leave their home, and now they just have nothing anymore. And they look around, and they think, like, where did this Jesus guy get me? I used to have a nice life. I used to have a nice house, a nice neighborhood. Our kids used to ride their bikes up and down the street, not have to worry about anything. I had a good job, good neighbors, made a good living. Now I got nothing. You can imagine the temptation it would be, there would be to question your faith, to wonder if it was all worth it. And so James says, you believers, you followers of Jesus who are now in this low position societally because of following Jesus, you should brag and boast about the high position that you are in. You're in an awesome place. There's no better place for you to be than where you are right now in your low position. Why? It's who we are in Christ. It's who we are in Christ. And so this is the point for us as we think about this passage because none of us are living in this kind of um, circumstances. Some of you certainly might be struggling financially and, and, uh, and it's not to downplay any of that, right? There's like real stress that comes, like some real sleepless nights and wondering how in the world am I going to do this. So no matter what position you're in, though, here's the point that James says. He says this. He says, your economic status doesn't define you. Your spiritual status does. 
Your bank account doesn't define your worth. Jesus defines your worth. Who does Jesus say you are? The Bible tells us a lot. Romans 8 tells us one particularly amazing thing about following Jesus. Who are you if you're in Christ? You are an heir of God and a co-heir of Christ. You know what that means? It means you're going to get God's inheritance. This is a good place to be, church. Imagine, if you will, here's another convoluted metaphor for you. I'm sorry, I don't know what happened this week in preparation. So imagine that, like, there's somebody who comes up to you, maybe, and they're just, like, real depressed. Like, man, I don't know. It's, I'm depressed. I'm struggling financially. It's really hard for me right now. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't. I just don't know. You t- learn a little bit more about their story, and they say, well, yeah, actually, uh, Bill Gates is my, my godfather, and so I am set to receive, you know, half of his fortune at some point in my life. But right now, I'm just real depressed. And you'd be like, yo, you're about to be rich. <laughs> what are you worried about? Like, okay, yeah, it might be hard right now, but holy cow. <laughs> well, that's just money. The Bible says money, that's all going to fade away. We are in comparably rich compared to even that because of all that we have in Christ. You are an heir of God. It's himself. We got to think like that. You believers who are poor right now, James says, guess what? You can brag. Why? Ephesians 2, God raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. What more could we ask for? You're an heir of God, the living God who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And you are set to inherit eternal life with Christ. And right now you have the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. That should inform the way that we think about ourselves. And that's how James says, you who are low can boast. And it's true. How much better is it to be rich in Christ and poor in material things than to be poor in Christ and rich in material things? Way better, that's the answer. Way, 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 way better. So he's not just being cute by saying, yeah, you poor people can boast because you're rich. No, it is so much better, James says, to be destitute, to follow Jesus and have that make you lose every single possession on earth, yet to have Christ, than to have every possession on the earth and to not have Christ. So if you are an heir of God, then you've got something to brag about. That's what needs to be our encouragement. In God's upside-down world, the poor are rich. Second, says, the rich are humbled. Verse 10, the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So we've seen how James looks at the poor and says, you guys are in a great spot. But he also now looks to the rich and says... You are going to be humbled. In essence, he says, you've got a problem on your hands. Let's just go back to this. We talked about how so much in James goes back to the teachings of Jesus. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
What did Jesus say? Sell all your stuff. So what did the rich man do? Sold all his stuff? Nope. He went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. He couldn't part with it. And so then Jesus, reflecting on that to the disciples, later said, it is better, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Why is that? It's because of how strong the temptation is for those who are rich. And let's be honest, if we live in America, that's pretty much all of us compared to the rest of the world, how strong the temptation is to trust in those riches for salvation rather than God. What's the only requirement to enter the kingdom of God? Faith. What does faith require? A complete and total and utter dependence and reliance on the one you have faith in. Right, you do trust falls, those exercises, or you cross your arms and fall backwards and hope the person catches you, and if they don't catch you, you're going to fall right on your head. You can't step back because that's not trusting, right? For the rich, how strong is the temptation to trust in other things, to hedge your bets with other things than Jesus Christ? It's simply harder for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven because it is harder for the rich to be completely dependent on God. And so James says, you rich should boast in your humiliation because all these things are going to pass away. In other words, he's saying, for those of you who are rich, you should brag about the fact that none of this matters and eventually I'm going to lose everything. Who brags like that, right? Guess what? I'm going to lose everything. Praise the Lord. Don't say that, but it's true. That's what James is saying. You rejoice, you boast in your humiliation because all that stuff means nothing, nothing, nothing compared to having Christ. So the question for all of us, no matter what category you fall in this morning, is simply this, where is your confidence? Where is your confidence? If you're poor, is your confidence in your ability to get into a better financial position, or is your confidence in the spiritual position that God has placed you in? If you're rich, like we said, it's pretty much most of us. Where's your confidence? Is it in your ability to provide? Is it in your material things, those things that are going to wither up and die? And the answer is we are utterly and completely and totally dependent on God for everything, all the time, full stop. And that's how we need to think. And that's how we need to think about our stuff. That's how we need to think about each other and our position before God. And to bring it full circle, that's how we need to think about our church as well. We need to build on that solid foundation of Jesus Christ and him alone and nothing else. And when we do that, we're going start to start to live out its implications. If we're building on the gospel, we will naturally live out the implications of the gospel with one another and the way that we bear each other's burdens because Jesus has borne our burdens. The way that we give radical grace to one another because Jesus has given us radical grace. The way we repent when we sin against each other and then we forgive those who sinned against us and we forget their sin because Jesus has done those things for us when we do that the bonds are going to weld together like glue and that's when we'll be able to live on mission for God but that's the order it's Jesus first then community and then mission we can't get that mixed up Jesus first 
community, and mission. Don't want to be a popcorn church. Because of Jesus, we live in a community, live in community with one another, which will drive our mission. Let the lowly brother exalt in its high position, and that's all of us. Apart from Christ, we have nothing, but in Christ, we have absolutely everything. So church, don't put your hope in things that are going to pass away. Don't put your hope in riches. Don't put your hope in stuff. Ultimately, it's meaningless. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. What better position could we possibly be in? Let's put our hope in him who can do more than all that we can ask or imagine. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have been given incomparable riches in Christ. Every single one of us. God, we confess right now this morning that we don't always hold that in the esteem and regard that we should. And instead, we get distracted with lesser things. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you give so many people for um, business and finances and the ability to succeed and do well in these things, God. And those are gifts from you. But help us to keep proper perspective. Know that ultimately it's all about you, God. And for those who are walking through a season, maybe even right now this morning, of financial struggle, I just pray that the hope would be in Christ, that you would be near to them in that time. God, I pray that we would be the church that is so bonded together that we can walk through really, really hard things and yet nothing will break that bond because we're your body and Christ is the head. He's the cornerstone. He's a solid rock. We don't want to build on anything else. So help us, God. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.